0: Shield Ministries, and I'm your host, Corrine Jander. For those of you that frequently listen to the show and know Kay Meyer, that lovely lady is my mom. She's back in Missouri today, and I'm coming to you from Minnesota. And today we're talking with Kate Meadows, author of Faith to Follow, The Journey of Becoming a Pastor's Wife. Kate is a published writer, editor, teacher, and speaker, and her work has appeared in Writer's Digest, Chicken Soup for the Soul, USAA Financial Magazine, and many other publications and media outlets. Kate and I have this shared experience of walking alongside our husbands in their journey to become pastors. In fact, we became friends during our time at the seminary, and we quickly realized that we were not the only two women Longing for a roadmap that clearly outlined who we are in this process and where do we fit. Today, we're going to begin a much needed dialogue based on Kate's book about the commonalities in the stories of these women and how the church can lift them up throughout their journey and how they can have faith to follow the Lord's lead into ministry. So welcome, Kate. I'm so glad you're here. Thank you. It's so good to be here. Well, let's jump right in and talk about this common longing for a roadmap. Kate, what kinds of fears or questions, uh, maybe even desires do women have when they consider going to the seminary with their husbands?
1: When when we were uh, considering this uh, move, and by move, I mean both the physical move of going to the seminary, you know, packing up all your belongings and, and leaving a place that you're really familiar with, um, and and going to a new place, um, and then also a move in the sense of a lifestyle change. You know, we're leaving behind a, a pretty a cushy, comfortable paycheck. Um, we had uh, two kids that were fairly young Um and um, with, a, with a husband going back to school full time, uh, because seminary is a, um, it involves a master's level study program. Um, so there were a lot of questions um, that I had as uh, both a, a, as a woman, as a mm-hmm. wife, and also as a mother. Um, so, uh, and I think these are a lot of questions that women in general wrestle with as we go through transitions ourselves of, you know, um, becoming wives and and parents um, and and uh, professionals even. So what is my role and how is that going to change? That was the biggest question I had. And the fear along with it, how are these changes going to affect our family?
0: Yeah, I remember sitting in the bedroom with my husband the year before we went and closing the door because it was like the only private place in the house where we could talk away from the children. And we were just going through so many questions that would pop into our heads and we were talking and we were praying and I'm sure I was crying. I hardly Mm -hmm. remember anymore because there you're just flooded, aren't you? You're flooded with uh, what is going to happen next. How could we possibly make this happen at this season of life. Mm -hmm.
1: It's so true. And it's like, you know that there's a way because of God has put it on our hearts or on our husband's hearts. Um, You know that he's going to uh, provide that path, but it's so hard and so scary to not see that path. Um, One of my favorite quotes, I don't even know where it's from, but I used it a lot in the writing of this book, um, just reflecting on it um was you know why does um well god gives us light to see ahead but only mm-hmm. he only lights like enough to see a step or two ahead he doesn't light the whole way and when you think about that if he did light the whole way like there's a reason why he doesn't light the whole way right because if he did mm-hmm. i think a lot of us would be like huh uh i'm not <laughs> i'm not doing it you know he's asking us to follow him and following him means totally trusting. Um, And that in itself is, is a scary thing, but also um, so rewarding when, when we can just, you know, take that leap, so to speak.
0: Absolutely. Yes. Well, tell us about your realization that the men have a well paved road ahead of them upon uh, coming to the seminary but the women don't. Sure. So I think one thing that's important to
1: realize in in that area is the uh, Lutheran Church Missouri Synod has a very specific way of training and raising up pastors. Um, and um, it, our synod does not do it quite like any other synod that, that I'm aware of. Um, and so when when a guy goes off to seminary, the traditional path is, it's a four year program. Um, you are in the seminary, like attending classes on campus, either in St. Louis or Fort Wayne, Indiana. Um, you're attending classes for two years. Um, after those two years, then you go on what's called vicarage, which is like an internship um, where you're getting practical experience. That can be um, happen anywhere in the country. Um, you as as the as the student, and then if you're married, you know the wife. Um, they you do have some say in it, but you can't ever just pin your hopes on you know. Well, I said I want to go to this place, so let's plan on going to this place. You don't know, um, so there's mm-hmm. a lot of uncertainty in that third year. Um, but even still, the student, the the pastor in training knows that he's going to be somewhere and then he's got work cut out for him right he's he knows what he's going to be doing um and then um and then fourth year you come back from wherever you were serving on that vicarage or internship you come back to the seminary for one more year of school of classes um, and then after that it's off to who knows where again it could be anywhere in the country. So when I'm talking about a well-paved road, you know, there's definitely a lot of uncertainty for the, for the men um, who go through this, but it's uncertainty in terms of, you know, where we're going to be and maybe what type of work I'll be doing, you know, in the church. But it's always, you know, you're working in the church and you have, you know, overseers, I guess, whether it's, you know, the professors who are guiding your classes, teaching your classes, or whether it's a a senior pastor at a church who's kind of shepherding you um, in this journey. Um, And then, you know, the counselors and the the placement directors for, you know, getting you ready for that first call outside of the seminary. So the women in all of this, um, I know when, when we were going, you know, I just kept thinking, well, what do the women do here? Like, so if I want, if I want to get a job, for example, you know, I need to work full time. How do I present myself as employable when I can only guarantee to someone that I'll be somewhere for two years? You know, no Mm -hmm. employer wants to hear that. Well, sure. I'll be your woman, you know, for two years. But after that, I don't know, you know, um, or, Um, maybe, you know, a lot of women choose not to work, um, and choose to, to be at home and, and raise their kids and raise their family. They've got, you know, okay, there's a lot of textbooks out there on motherhood, but who has yet to write the one that everyone follows, right? That has all the answers for all of us, um, (laughs) doesn't exist because there's so many, you know, every, every little individual is different. So, so whether the woman is working, Or, you know, working at home, um, raising a family, um, we're doing it in, you know, a very unfamiliar terrain without, you know, guidelines in front of us.
0: Yes. And and we all want to know, how do we prepare to be a pastor's wife? And Mm -hmm. you write in your book that you knew you couldn't write the roadmap for everyone, but you thought perhaps you could write about some of the common experiences in the stories of the women yeah so tell us about how you gathered those stories and the experiences for the book.
1: Yes, I would love to um because the women themselves, the interviews um are really what made this book i think um what it is. I relied on all these women around me because you know you realize pretty quickly that you know we as women all come from different walks of life we We show up at the seminary in very different seasons. Um, and so what that journey looks like for each of us is different, yet, um, the more I started talking to women, the more, you know, I, I realized there are commonalities no matter where we are, you know, um, at our, in our journey, our life's journey. So I kind of put a call out, um, to, uh, just women in general at the seminary. I used um, the seminary's Facebook pages um, and uh, email. And I even um, kind of went through the back door in a few instances um, to talk to the husbands if I if I knew the husbands, but I wasn't real familiar with the wives. Um, my goal was to get as many women as I could from as many um, points of life. So, you know, from 20 somethings, newly married all the way to, you know, retired grandmothers who are kind of, you know, on this, this new stage of life, um, starting over in a new way, Um, and everything in between, because I really wanted to capture, you know, um, there is no stereotypical pastor's wife, we all have this kind of image in our head of the stereotypical pastor's wife, and I'm here to tell you it does not exist because we are all, you know, individuals, um, the, the individuals who God created us to be as unique, beautiful people. Um, so I, I designed this template of questions, um, and I asked pretty much the same questions to every woman at the seminary, either seminary in St. Louis or Fort Wayne. Who was willing to share their story with me, um, and I wound up with a little over sixty interviews um, in all, which I think speaks volumes. It's that alone, you know, is a testament to how many stories there are and how many women are willing and longing to talk about this journey and, you know, explore those commonalities and
0: and questions and longings. Yes, I I have to agree with you that the book has a fullness to it because of the stories. Um, you know, you see in it that some of these women were elated and excited for the journey. Um, some of them really struggled with not knowing what the future held. Uh, nobody knows how they're going to get from the present to what's going to happen next along the journey. Mm-hmm. And and you mentioned in the book that every family is pursuing an act of blind faith in doing this. They're releasing control and they're relying completely on God in situations that seem impossible to navigate. And as you said before, many women in this world know what this is like. Anytime we make a big life transition, we're we're pursuing an act of blind faith and really just keeping our hands open and saying, Lord, use me, remind me that I'm not alone on this journey. And you know, and bless it.
1: Exactly. And I think, you know, that's where faith is so important because, you know, I could not imagine, you know, doing this journey or any major transition for that matter um, without that faith that God is in control in the end. And that is something that really held me um, through the four years um, was continually going back to, you know. This is not my journey. It's God's journey through me. God is using me um, to, you know, to do whatever, to do His work. Um, and so, whenever I would get, you know, anxious or stressed or fearful, um, it was so comforting to come back to that. And you know, okay, it's not me. It's not about me. It's not about what I want. It's not about what I'm pursuing for myself. It's about what God wants for me as his child, but, but more than that, for this family that he's created um, through, through Brian and me, um, and, and for his church, and where can I be most useful and helpful in, in the church setting?
0: Absolutely. Now, Kate, we're going to take a quick break for some announcements, and then when we come back, we're going to talk about our identity in this call process. Okay. I just want to share with our listeners that Family Shield Ministries cares about families growing in Christ and equips them to witness to each other and to the world. The Family Shield radio program is aired on more than 50 radio stations throughout the United States and is offered as a weekly podcast. Today, we're giving away the Project Connect booklet called Your Place in God's Plan from Lutheran Hour Ministries. To get your complimentary booklet, call our response center at 1-877-250-8416 or email us at witness to family at gmail.com. Going on a prayer walk with your family is something that we encourage you to do this spring. So check out the digital resources that we've posted on our website about having a prayer walk and then fill out the survey afterwards. We encourage you also to pray for us and consider a gift to support Family Shield Ministries. And you can share a gift by postal mail and our address is on the website or online at FamilyShieldMinistries.com. Now let's return to my guest, Kate Meadows, and we're going to start talking about identity. Identity. So, Kate, there are many sensitive and challenging things that take place in your heart and in your mind during your fourth year at seminary. Tell us about some of the possibilities that women are pondering during this time.
1: Sure. So the fourth year of seminary um, is is a major, another just a major transition point because You've just come off of a big transition um, from Vicarage or that internship that we talked about earlier, where you could be, you know, anywhere in the country um, and you're in your final, your husband's in his final year at the seminary. But there's this sense, this huge overarching sense of expectation um, in that fourth year of where are we going? It's this huge question of where. Um, I remember, and I share this in the book, um, there was a night I couldn't sleep. And have we all had many of those, right? Where your mind is just turning um, at three in the morning. And um, I thought, I want a map. I want to just print out a blank map and color in where, you know, I would love to be. Um, and so I did that at like, honestly, like three in the morning, I got up and I printed out <laughs> a blank map of the United States. And um, I started coloring, you know, I, I could see us being in this part of the country, um, nowhere near this part of the country. God is definitely not calling us here. And it was so interesting because as I started to fill in that color, it really did um, define, it, it was like a defining moment of where I felt like in my head, the big where question was so... Um, so huge and um, uncontainable. but then as I started to kind of color in where I felt like God was maybe leading us, it really shrunk it down and it gave me this maybe it was superficial, but it was this sense of peace of okay, this is manageable. but it's so hard, I think for women in general to to picture where they're gonna be because at the end of the day you just don't know. And so you have to be completely open to whatever. And when I say where, you know, again, I mean that geographically, but also, again, with our roles and who are we and who are we going to be? Will we, you know, will we go to a place and, you know, get a job and work full time? Will we go to a place and settle into a house and, you know, be raising a family and plugging into this new community? Um, will we be living in a parsonage? Will we be buying our own house? Will we be renting? Will we be in an apartment? There's a million questions um, that are a lot logistical, but a lot you know, more along those lines of identity. And who am I um, and who is God calling me to be? How is he using me in this?
0: Mm-hmm. And you mentioned in chapter 12 that as vocations come and go throughout our lives, we need to trust God to help us to work into the new identities to which he calls us. So even through so much uncertainty where you'll end up and what your life will look like after the call, we should still hold on to the one vocation that will never change, and that's that we are a baptized child of God. Yes. And I found that very encouraging. I think these are the bits of truth that are woven throughout your book um, that as women read it, and they identify with the stories, they begin to feel validated, but then they're also encouraged to go straight back to the truth. You're a child of God. You don't need to, you know, be waking up at three o'clock every night <laughs> worrying <laughs> about what's going to happen. <laughs> exactly. So another another identity issue that, that rears its head when considering seminary and also uh, as well as like once you've completed seminary, is being referred to as a pastor's wife mm-hmm. so what is it about the term pastor's wife that causes so much angst among pastors' wives that's such a good question um, and i I have kind of some fun
1: with it because you know you put yourself in any other position and is there a stigma around like you are the teacher's wife, or you are the judge's wife, or you are the the engineer's wife. There just, there really isn't. But when you're the pastor's wife, there's like this sudden flood, I think, of unspoken expectation. And that's, um, I get into it a little bit in chapter four, but it, it would be grounds for an entirely new book, I think, of, you know, where do these expectations come from? And are they changing? That's the biggest thing. Because Again, as I was interviewing these sixty plus women, I would tell you almost one hundred percent of them said, "I'm not your stereotypical pastor's wife." <laughs> so that led me to you know question, huh?" and this was that wasn't even you know an answer to a question. That was just a "Hey, heads up, I'll tell you my story, but I'm not a stereotypical pastor's wife." <laughs> so uh, you know, I started questioning, well, what is a stereotypical pastor's wife? Like, what is this image we have in our heads, and where does it come from?" Um, I still don't know that I can entirely, you know, I I can't provide a satisfactory answer to that, but I think it's rooted maybe in um, some older traditions or just a traditional idea of the pastor's wife, you know, playing the organ and leading the Sunday school and her children, she has children for one thing, which not all pastor's wives do, Um, And her children are perfectly behaved because they're the pastor's kids. And so you just kind of start breaking that down and it almost becomes humorous. You know, it's not to say there aren't any pastor's wives now who, who play the organ or, you know, whatever, but none of us are that neatly put together package. Um, Mm -hmm. At the end of the day, we're all human. And I think that's what we want to be, um, I mean, we want, to be, we want to be human and to be able to share with everyone that, you know, I am a sinner just like you are, and I am forgiven just like you are, thanks be to God. And I'm going to go on sinning because I'm human, and God is going to forgive me and forgive me and forgive me. Um, and I want to be able to share that love that He has for me with you, my brothers and sisters, as a human being, not necessarily first and foremost as a pastor's wife.
0: Yes. I saw, I saw a meme recently about pastor's wives, and I just laughed so hard because it's so true. And there were these different images of what different people think a pastor's wife is. So there was one where you have Joel Olstein and his wife standing behind him while he's preaching, and it says what society thinks I do as a pastor's wife. And then there was another one of uh, Mother Teresa caring for an orphan. And at the bottom, it said, what my parents think I do. And yeah. there was another one where there's a cheerleader and it says, what my husband thinks I do. But ultimately the picture that most uh, clearly shows the way that we feel is this woman with this look on her face of just utter exasperation and being overwhelmed. And she's juggling all these plates. And it says, yeah. what, I, what I think I do, you know, and it's a hilarious reality. And you can't really know the truth until you're in the role. And you could choose to laugh about it and take it lightly or cry and become consumed by it. Yeah. But The truth is that these stereotypes of pastors' wives are just one more way that Satan takes a foothold to convince us that we don't have what it takes for this God-given role. Mm -hmm.
1: It's so true.
0: Yeah, I know. And you write about that in the book. And I'm like, yes, 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 that's so true. So, um, in part four of your book, you talk about the transition from the call to the church. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to bring up something about um, contradictions. You wrote about how being a pastor's wife comes with its fair share of contradictions. Mm-hmm. So, a few of the statements that resonated with me were you are simultaneously well known and anonymous. Mm-hmm. That one to me just screams Sunday morning. <laughs> There was a, a statement, your your role is a rich connecting point for some people and a turning away point for other people. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you're simultaneously strong yet vulnerable. Mm-hmm. So, in what ways are contradictions like this true for pastors' wives, Kate?
1: Yeah, um I I this becomes more and more real to me the longer I am a pastor's wife. Um I think I've especially noticed it lately in that, um, you know, your role is a connecting point for some and a turn off for others. I'm picking up, you know, um, on one hand, saying that you're a pastor's wife or that your husband is a pastor. Um, it's a great witnessing opportunity and it can get kind of exciting if someone's like, oh, what, what, you know, so we'll get asked a lot, you know, what brought you to Rapid City where we live now in South Dakota. Um, and it's my husband's job. Oh, well, what does your husband do? Oh, he's a pastor. Um, and you get the, oh, really? What church does he, you know, what What church does he a pastor at? Or, you know, I've, I haven't been going to church, but I'd really like to get get back to it. And so you have those kinds of responses, or you have the totally closed, oh, and then like dead silence and, yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah. and, and those are the ones that you kind of just want to prod and be like, so, you know, kind of keep that conversation going. Um, but, but that's one area with um, a contradiction. And, um, and another one, I think that I'm really wrestling with now is um, being a congregation member and a pastor's wife and the reality that you can't be just a congregation member anymore. So that's another conversation.
0: <laughs> I know. And I wish that I wish that we could continue this conversation, but we're actually almost out of time. And so as we conclude, I just want to know very quickly what is your hope for women that might read this book?
1: My hope for women is that they go back to that number one idea, that identity in Christ, that no matter what, you are a baptized child of God and that God is using you.
0: Yes. So perhaps our listeners are in this role, or perhaps as you listen today, you're thinking of a woman in your life that is a pastor's wife. This book will bring truth and encouragement into the lives of these women, and I encourage you to purchase it through Kate's website, katemeadows.com. Kate, my friend, it has been such a pleasure to have you with us, and I thank you for joining us today.
1: Thank you so much, Kareen. I just treasure your friendship and um, and just have really enjoyed being here. And thank you for the opportunity to to talk about the book and just share this love that we have for for just women in general.
0: My pleasure. My guest today has been Kate Meadows, and we've been talking about her book, Faith to Follow the Journey of Becoming a Pastor's Wife. Thank you so much for joining us today.